Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, for those of you who haven't met yet, I'm Pastor John, Senior Pastor here at Stonebridge. And we've been going through a sermon series focused on Joseph's life in the book of Genesis. The end of Genesis focuses in on Joseph's story. And today we come to the end of our journey through Joseph's story. And each time we come to the end of a sermon series, I always feel a little bit sad that we're saying goodbye to a character that we spent two months now looking at, seeing how God worked through his or her life. Um, But for those of you who want to know what is coming up, uh, we'll be spending three weeks in the book of Ruth starting next week. And we'll do a short three-week series looking at Ruth and what God did in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's lives. But today we're focused on Joseph and saying goodbye to Joseph. So we will be reading from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, towards the end of Joseph's story here. I invite you to hear the word of God. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this word. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us all together so that we can lift our voices up to you and so we can be taught by your scriptures so that your Holy Spirit can shape and form us into your likeness. So we thank you for Joseph's story. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from him. But more than anything, we thank you for the glimpse of your character we get in his story. We thank you for how you worked in his life and what that can teach us about how you work in each of our lives as well and how you're working in this world. So help us by looking at your scriptures to see your work more clearly. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach all of us now In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this. Amen. So I want to begin with, I think, a simple and basic observation. Joseph's brothers are the absolute worst. They're the ones who started all of this conflict. Joseph has already forgiven them. He's already given them land. And then the moment that their father dies, Joseph's brothers assume that Joseph must want to hurt them. That everything Joseph did must have been fake. That Joseph must want to get back at them somehow. Even though Joseph has already shown them such kindness. It's like they can't believe that what Joseph did is genuine. 
Maybe because they aren't genuine. Because of the things they've done, they're projecting onto him, assuming that he can't be this good. So they come up to Joseph, and what do they do? They really put him in a position where he can't say no. They say, our father's last dying wish, which conveniently you weren't there to hear, was that you would forgive us. How's he going to say no to that? But we already know they don't need to do all that. Joseph is going to forgive them. We know that. They're learning that in the moment. But in the midst of this story, the author of Genesis writes this line that I think we are supposed to focus in on, that we're supposed to see clearly. It's there in verse 18, where it says that Joseph's brothers fell down before him. They fell down before him. If the importance of that line escapes you, forgive yourself. We've been going through this story for seven or eight weeks now, looking at Joseph's story in small pieces here and there. We didn't read it all in one sitting like it would have been read initially. And it is a long adventure that Joseph has been on. At the very beginning, it started with Joseph's brothers. They're jealous of him. They think he's arrogant, so they want to get rid of him. So at first, they're going to take his life. Then they decide instead to sell him into slavery. So he's taken down into Egypt. He's sold into the house of Potiphar. He starts to do well in Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife wants to take advantage of him, and he denies her, and she falsely accuses him, and that means Joseph gets thrown into jail. So he's innocent, but he's there in jail, he starts to do well there. He starts to get responsibility from the chief jailkeeper. And two of Pharaoh's officials are thrown in jail with him. And one of them, later on, years later, ends up putting Joseph in the position in front of Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph then gets placed in this prominent position over all of Egypt. It's quite the journey that he's been on. But that line, they fell down in front of him. If you go back to the very beginning of all of this, to what really started it, Joseph had two dreams. Both of those dreams told Joseph that his brothers would one day bow down before him and fall down in front of him. Here in this moment, in Genesis 50, with Joseph's brothers bowed down before him, we get a picture of the fulfillment of the dream that started all of this. This is proof that what God had told Joseph all those years ago has literally come to pass physically with Joseph's brothers bowing down before him. It's as though God has this secret plan that God is working to enact. And that though Joseph's brothers thought they were making one decision, God was taking that decision and using it in a way they couldn't see. I mean, I think in this moment, too, Joseph pretty much gives us the entire meaning of his story. In that moment, when his brothers are bowed down before him, when this dream is being fulfilled, Joseph says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. That's the summary of this entire story. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. So when Joseph's brothers thought that they were making a decision to get rid of him, 
Really, they were just moving him down to Egypt, which is where he needed to be, to save thousands of people from a famine there by interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And when Potiphar's wife thought that she was punishing Joseph for denying her, she really was getting Joseph closer to Pharaoh's officials so that Joseph could eventually be in this position to help others. It really is, in this story, the way God works is like God has this secret plan that isn't made known to anybody else. We, the readers, as we're going along, don't even know exactly where it's going to end unless you've heard the story already. But God is working in the midst of all of this, enacting a plan that nobody else knows for a good that nobody else could expect. There's an idea, or sorry, there's a word for the idea that God is enacting a plan that human beings don't know. It's the word providence. Providence is an old time word that now you probably think of a city like Providence, Rhode Island, or you think of like an insurance company or a stadium named after an insurance company. But providence is, it points to the protective care of God. To the idea that God is active and engaged in the world. One of the opposite ideas of providence would be the concept of deism, which basically states that there is a creator God who created everything and then stepped back and doesn't intervene, doesn't get involved, just lets things run as they will. Providence points to a different picture of God, a God who is active, a God who is engaged, a God who is working through human events to bring about an outcome. Providence can be both a challenging thought and a comforting thought. And it is a concept that I think we need to hold fast to and reclaim a little. The word may not actually become very popular again, but this idea that God is active and engaged, the idea and picture of God that we see in Joseph's story is important for us. Because I think functionally, though we may not embrace deism, the way we talk about God often is as a God who is distant, a God who is far off, a God who is up in the sky just watching down on us, not really intervening. That's not the picture of God in Joseph's story here. One theologian who developed the idea of providence was John Calvin, a French and Swiss theologian from the Reformation. And the way Calvin describes providence is basically events are governed by God's secret plan in such a way that nothing happens except what is knowingly and willingly decreed by him. Calvin also says, not one drop of rain falls without God's sure command. On one level, that can be a very comforting thought, knowing that God is in control, knowing that we have a God who is all-powerful. But then Calvin makes things really clear and explicit when talking about providence. And this is where I think providence becomes a challenging idea to us. Calvin says, let us imagine, for example... A merchant who, entering a wood with a company of faithful men, unwisely wanders away from his companions, and in his wanderings comes upon a robber's den, falls among thieves, and is slain. His death was not only foreseen by God's eye, but also determined by his decree. 
So on the one hand, we can all admit Calvin could do a little better at writing short stories. But at the end there, that line, his death was not only foreseen by God's eye, but also determined by his decree. That's a challenging thought. I mean, Calvin is saying that God has decreed murder. That God has decreed something that runs counter to the character of God revealed in Jesus. If you're completely comfortable with that idea, I think you need to look more closely at how God is revealed in Jesus. There's a challenge there. And the idea of providence really came under fire and became challenged significantly throughout the 20th century. Because some things happened in the 20th century that made it hard to believe that everything is God's decree. World War I. The world had never seen warfare played out at that level. The level of technology used, the brutality that came about from it. All because some monarchs in England who were all cousins of each other were upset. God decreed every single one of those deaths. That's tough. That's a challenge. A couple of decades later, World War II happens. And then we learn about the Holocaust and the atrocities of the Nazis. And God decreed all of that? I mean, saying God decreed it is different than God allowing it. God decreeing it takes it a step further. And then uh, we learned the power that humans had accomplished to destroy one another when the United States dropped bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. God decreed all of those deaths too? I think Calvin's idea of providence rightly became challenged because all of those events run counter to the character of God revealed in Jesus. And I think it is an appropriate challenge. And I don't think that we have to just accept Calvin's definition of providence as he laid it out. We have to remember Calvin isn't the Bible. A lot of theologians aren't the Bible. We can challenge some of these ideas and look at the picture of providence there in Joseph's story here. I don't think that God necessarily decreed that Joseph's brothers were going to sell him into slavery. But God uses it still. God redeems it still. I think that God doesn't have to decree things that God will use. So I think providence, it can be a challenging idea, and it's an idea that should be challenged. And we have to recognize that there is some nuance here. But it can also be a comforting idea. If you have ever been in a position where you were helpless by circumstances, or there was someone in your life who was harming you, and there's nothing you could do about it, Trusting that there is an all-powerful God who is more powerful than the circumstances you're in or the person who is harming you. And not only more powerful, but also a loving God who cares for you, who is going to somehow make it right. That is an important idea. It is a comforting idea. You see that in the Psalms over and over again. That God is somehow going to make right the terrible, horrible decisions of human beings. To me, that's providence. 
So God can have this secret plan that is working not because God made decisions to harm other people, but because God is undoing the decisions of human beings to harm other people. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, reflecting on this passage in Genesis 50, he says, Joseph's brothers could not see that in the midst of their scheme was another plan about which none of them knew, a plan hidden but sure of its work. Joseph's brothers were the ones who made the decision to sell him into slavery. But in the midst of that, God was working a deeper purpose. God was taking that, redeeming that, changing that, using that so that people would be saved in Egypt. The Apostle Paul has his famous line from Romans 8.28, that we know that God works all things for good to those who love God. I don't think God decrees bad things. I don't think God decrees evil. But I think God takes horrible decisions, takes evil, twists it, works with it, and brings good out of it. To me, that's providence, and that's what we see in Joseph's story here. The truth of providence, though, is that we're all going to disagree. When you start looking at specific things that happen in life, when you start looking at the different events of life, it's hard to say specifically, what was God's decision? What was a person's decision? What do we know about that? The truth is, we actually know very little in the details here. And if you want me to lay out a perfect idea of providence that actually, cap- that actually captures God perfectly, I can't do that. None of us can. And my answer at the end of the day, when somebody says, was this God's decision or was it somebody else's, is I don't know. We don't know how God is working. And the idea of providence can be a comforting one to let us know, big picture, God is working to redeem all things. It can be, but at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge there's mystery in this. But a simpler question, an easier question, and a more important question than what's a human decision and what's God's decision and how, how much is God working, how little is God working, a simpler question than all of that is simply, do you trust the character of God revealed in Jesus? If you trust the character of God revealed in Jesus... That makes the idea of how God is working in the world much simpler and easier. If you trust that God is good, that God is just, if you trust that the way Jesus explains God to us is accurate, then whatever decisions God has made or hasn't made are easier for us to accept, knowing that the outcome God is going to bring about will reflect God's character. Do you trust the character of God revealed in Jesus? That's, I think, the question at the end of the day for each and every one of us. Joseph didn't have the revelation of God in Jesus, but when he gets to this point with his brothers, he's looking back on everything and he trusts in the character of the God of Israel. He trusts in the character of the God of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, so that he can look back and see that all of the terrible things that happened in his life God used and redeemed for a greater purpose. And according to Joseph, it was all worth it. He's able to forgive his brothers, to extend grace to his brothers because of that trust that he has in the God of his fathers. 
So do we trust in the God revealed in Jesus? Joseph had his dream. This dream that we're seeing the fulfillment of in Genesis 50 here. That dream helped him to understand what God was going to accomplish. We don't have a dream the same way. At least I don't have a dream the same way Joseph did. Maybe you do, but I think most of us don't have a dream the way Joseph did. But what we have is this passage from Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I read this in the first couple sermons for this sermon series. And my prayer is that Revelation 21, 1 through 4 would serve for us in the same way Joseph's dream served for him. The dream that told him that he would one day have his brothers bowing down to him. He knew what the end looked like for his life. And through Revelation 21, 1 through 4, we know what the end looks like for all of history. This is the purpose that God is working to achieve. This, when God interacts with us, when God is active in the world, this is what God is working to accomplish. I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 4 now. And my prayer is that these words would settle on your heart and take hold and give you a vision for all that God is working to accomplish. Revelation says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. I'm going to read verse 4 one more time there. And let these words capture your imagination. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. That's what the God revealed in Jesus is working to accomplish. And when God breaks into this world, when God is active, that's the end goal that God is going to accomplish. Do you trust in the God revealed in Jesus of Nazareth? Do you trust that that God is active in your life? That that God loves you and cares for you? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may our answer be yes. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example. We thank you that you give us a glimpse of how you work through the story of his life. We thank you that in that moment when his brothers are bowing down to him, when the dream is fulfilled, he points to you. He shows that you were at work every step along the way and that what they intended for harm, you intended it for good. That you can redeem even the worst of events, the worst of decisions, Lord. That you are redeeming all things, including and especially the atrocities that human beings commit to one another, Lord, against one another. So, Lord, deepen our trust in you. May the picture and revelation that you've given us through your scriptures guide our imaginations, guide our hearts, guide our decisions so that our trust in you would be deep. May we model our trust in you to others so that they can have hope that you are wiping away all of our tears, that death and suffering and pain and mourning will one day be distant memories, and that we'll look back at the decisions you made and be grateful that we trusted in your character along the way. 
deepen our trust in you now, Lord.
the key.